Hey, Don, how you doing? How you doing, sir? You know what? It, it's nice to have you back. I missed you on the last episode. I missed me too. <laughs> you had a fish emergency, as we were joking. I I did had some oxygen levels drop. Had to go in and check that out. You know, you know we how joked it is. That fisherman Don had a fish emergency. We thought that was great. It's very uh, very poetic. Yes. <laughs> well, welcome back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Science Pokemon. Or Pokey Science, whenever we finally get around to having enough money to finish the rebranding. <laughs> Welcome back. We have guest. Our guest today is PhD candidate Evan Bear, who studies unisex salamanders. Very, very, very interesting discussion coming up. I think you're going to love it. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of Pokemon here and a lot of things that I don't think Evan or you or I planned on talking about. So without further ado, say it. Science Pokemon time. Let's go. <laughs> the following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, so on with the news. We got a couple cool things to talk about. First, though, I want to talk about mangrove forests. What do you know about mangrove forests, Fisherman Don? Um, actually, quite a lot. We have um a whole lot of that in Florida along the coastlines. Mangroves are really important. They um their root systems provide habitat for like juvenile fish to grow up. Um, they serve as very important wave breaks to prevent like coastline erosion. Um, yeah. a lot of different species rely on them. They're neat. Well. And you know what? They've actually been doing a really good job for right now because, you know, they're resilient, they're salt tolerant, um, and they've done a really good job with keeping up with rising sea levels, in fact. So the issue is, though, that while they can't, while the average rate right now is 3.4 millimeters per year of rising sea level, mangroves have trouble with anything faster than 7 millimeters a year. And it's projected that. By 2100, it's going to be 5 to 10 millimeters per year, which means it's going to outpace the mangrove mangrove's ability to adapt. Yeah, that's not ideal. No, it's not. And I know they provide such a, not only are they a home to fish, but like the amount of carbon sequestering that they these, these trees do is... Like, it's something that we shouldn't even be, you know, debating. Like, it is irreplaceable to our world. Yeah. So, it it really, it really upsets me. Um, You know, I keep having hopes that eventually we'll get our stuff together. Maybe people will surprise me. But yeah, a new study came out showing that uh, mangroves may have some trouble here in the coming years. Let's go to Pokemon news, though, because we got a lot to hear. DLC drops June 17th. Heck yeah. Hell yeah. I have already been using the hidden, hidden ability starters. Have you? A little bit. I haven't had a lot of time to mess with them. Oh, but I... Cinderace is amazing. Yeah, Cinderace is sweet. Honestly, I feel like um, Rillaboom, be... Rillaboom yeah. opens up a whole lot of strategies. And honestly, Inteleon's like kind of like the low-key one, but it just makes pre-existing Inteleon better. Yes. Um, well, Rillaboom, I think, is going to be good because in the DLC, we have a couple new... We have a couple new tutor moves that we know about so far there are more to come but one of them is a priority move 
in grassy terrain. Which yes, that is hidden cool. ability, hidden ability, Rillaboom automatically sets up. Yes. So you're giving it priority with a grass move, which will be really great because that will hit hard too. Because <laughs> I think yes. that's hit, that's Rillaboom's like biggest weakness is that it's not really fast. Yes. So that's really cool. I know anything else about the DLC you're excited for? Um, I know we saw some cool facts, but it's going to be for the later DLC, unfortunately, for about Zapdos and Moltres and Articuno. Yeah, the um, den coming out later this fall. Yeah, we got their new we got the new sta- uh, typings, which is cool. Articuna gets competitive. That's awesome. I'm excited for tutor moves coming. Zapdos gets like moves. defiant, which is ridiculous. Zapdos is now a sand matchup, and it's fighting type, which is wild. Moltres yeah. is still good, but I think it got the le- the worst of the three abilities. But we'll see stat wise. Um, I like the designs. You know, Articuno has a. My friend pointed out that Articuno has a weird, like, eyes wide shut mask, and now I can't unsee it. <laughs> but I still like it. Well, and we got we got Galarian Slowbro, which is a psychic Mega Man. Type. Yes. Yeah, Mega Man looks like Mega Man. Uh, I think we got a lot in the in the trailer here, and uh, Lai and I watched it live, and we were both like stupid excited. I yeah. think because there's there's just so much coming back. We were actually watching the trailer and being we were like, oh, Scissor is coming back and Lux Ray is coming back. We were we were watching for our favorites, and then in the trailer you got to see a really gigantic Waylord in the yes. overworld. That is amazing and possibly the best part of the whole trailer. You can ride your bike up to a forty foot long Waylord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to beat accurately sized Waylord. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty great. <laughs> um, so that said, we got some network news. I got two things to announce. So the first is for those of you who are listening this Friday, June thirteenth. Or sorry, this Saturday. Okay, the first thing for those listening this Saturday, June thirteenth, we're doing a Pokepub trivia night, which is a pub style trivia where you friends can come compete, play on a team, and win prizes. Please come, please come, please come. We are having a bunch of guest hosts who will be hosting around. Don, do you know who's coming? Who? Lucas is coming. Hey up at early Japanese time to come on a Sunday morning to come play trivia with all of you. So please, please turn out. Do this for him. For those who do not know, Don was the winner of our of our charity trivia stream. I'm the smartest man alive. <laughs> we had a rule where you could buy uh, drinks for certain players and they had to take a drink every time you bought them. And I think you drank a bottle and a half of bourbon, which is disgusting. Close to it. I, I <laughs> then ordered a pair. I or, then ordered two uh, large pizzas and ate like one and a half of those. I drank like a gallon of water and I slept great. Everyone, everyone was donating so hard there at the end because they're like, God, we just want Don to lose. Stop it. <laughs> Can't stop me. <laughs> it was, well, I think at the end of the stream, you were like, Okay, it finally hit me, guys. Yeah, oh, it hit me the last couple of days. I was I was in the danger zone. Luckily, it was early <laughs> enough in the night that I could take like precautions to not be dying the next day. It was great, though. Uh, just for you guys to know, we're recording this right before another event. But as of this moment, we've raised like $1,700 for Extra Life or for Children's Miracle Network. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of other stuff. That said, we just confirmed dates. VGC tournament's going to be July 11th and 12th. July 11th is going to be like the big thing, and July 12th is going to be Top Cut. That's going to be awesome. Are you excited, Don? Yes. I am. Sweet. We're working with Mount Silver, our old friends over there, Big Slim, old friend of mine. I am beyond excited to do this. I think it's going to be great, and more information will come. And I hope, even if you're not a hardcore competitive player, you'll come support the cause. I just, I'm so happy to see the positivity in our community and the amount of people who are willing to give up their time for good causes. So 
let's move on. Ready to talk about Pokemon? Let's do it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the meet, the interview, if you may. Uh, we have Evan Bear here with us today. So, Evan, what is it that you study? So, I study uh, what's known as the unisexual ambistema complex. It's sometimes also referred to as the blue-spotted salamander complex or the Jefferson complex. Uh, to narrow it down, ambistema, it's just a specific genus of salamander. Sometimes they're referred to as mole salamanders because some of them will dig little burrows or for hiding themselves uh, or sometimes they'll also hide into little rodent burrows. Um, the term complex, though, is, as it suggests, it's quite complicated. Uh, in this case, it's referring to the fact that the all-female group of salamanders at the center of it relies on a number of different host species to survive, two of which being the blue-spotted salamander and the Jefferson salamander, though there are at least three other known potential hosts. My research with this group is more focused on how all of these species are able to coexist with one another and how that coexistence really influences their genetic diversity. I mean, I feel like this is like the best example of genetic diversity. Like our last episode, we talked about flowers that asexually reproduce and we talked about how susceptible that makes plants to disease where you get like one virus and it just wipes out the entire species. But like this seems like this is a pretty safe bet then. Oh man, it's it's a mess. So because <laughs> so you know what ploidy is? No. No. Okay. So humans. Well, I think we'll be getting into this a bit later. Humans were diploid, right? We have two sets of uh, chromosomes. These animals, they can be diploid, they can be triploid, they can be tetraploid, or they can be pentaploid. So oh. two two sets, three sets, four sets, or five sets. That's and crazy. as yeah, as I mentioned before, since we know that there are at least five different species that can contribute to this, it gets really convoluted. There's one example specifically of a pentaploid individual that has uh, genetic material from four of those hosts. Wow, that's crazy. That's fascinating, honestly. Yeah, it is. I mean, at the same point, though, it's like, well, you you will have so many, I mean, like it's a double-edged sword because you have all these genes that make you more susceptible but protected at the same time. Yeah, because because you have so much diversity, you have a lot of like wiggle room, so to speak, that you can go through. And right, because this group is like predominantly clonal, all of the offspring have this have generally the same genetic material that the mother has. And yeah. so you just get very low diversity across the entire like population but very high diversity within a single individual. Huh. Crazy. Okay. So, so like what are then unisexual animals? Yeah. So uh, typically when we refer to a group as unisexual, it means that they are all either male or female, right? That's like one. Park. Yeah. It's one sex. Um, Got it. This sort of odd arrangement is often a byproduct of some hybridization events between closely related species. Depending on the specific group, the unisexuals will have two dip or two genomes, making them a diploid. This is most animals, but more often they have three genomes, and this is referred to as triploid. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Well, and I know I know we're going to talk about um, uh, Salandit at some later on, but like it kind of makes me think of 
Don and I have talked about Salazzle in some of our, our live panels at conventions where they're based on. I like, forgot about that part. Tales. I forgot we talked about it, but to be fair, yeah. was, I was pretty drunk. Yeah, whiptails and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but like those are New Mexican whiptails, and those kind of do the same thing. Then like they have two host species where the females reproduce with, which is why Salazzle is all female because the New Mexican whiptails are all female. Right. Kind of cool. Okay. I yeah. understand now. Okay. And so, in so- the case of the whiptail, like the it it's really just the courtship that they need, right? It's, it's that interaction. Yes. They don't even need the, the faux sex, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> crazy. This is so crazy. All right. So then how do unisexual animals reproduce? Right. So, uh, this really depends on the group that we're talking about. Some can reproduce on their own, like certain whiptail lizards or some okay. snakes. Even this is often referred to as parthenogenesis. I think there was one Komodo dra- incidence of a Komodo dragon doing it too, if I remember right. Yes, we talked yes. about it a few weeks yes. ago in our news segment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so reptiles are pretty well known for it. Outside of that, it's parthenogenesis itself is much less common. Um, in these cases, they don't even need to be a unisexual group, even like the snakes. You know, they still have males. It's just that. Well, this female has been alone for twenty years, and all of a sudden yeah. she's producing children. That's that's kind <laughs> that of crazy. That was the Komodo dragon. Yeah, that was the Komodo yeah. dragon incident. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So others, um, they'll require some kind of sexual interaction with a bisexual species. You know, the the traditional sort of like male female species, okay. and this interaction is needed to stimulate that egg development. This process can have multiple different outcomes. So depending on the group in question, uh, like Amazon mollies, they're kind of guppy. Um, I actually have done some stuff with mollies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I I caught a few when I was uh, doing my master's down in Texas. Oh, cool. Yeah. But, you know, they rely on the sperm from their local host, the closely related species that helps to activate the eggs, uh, so to speak. Yeah. None, of the gen- yeah. None of the genetic material from the male goes into the offspring, though. So the egg develops into a genetic clone of the mother. And this is referred to as gynogenesis. In other unisexual groups, the DNA from the sperm does get incorporated, but the outcome will generally always be female. This process can be referred to as hybridogenesis and is uh, found in a wide range of taxa. My personal favorite being the edible frog in Europe. Not sure why. Well, okay, it's probably called edible frog because it was eaten Delicious. a lot. Yeah, I would assume <laughs> as much. But yeah, they're they're triploids. Well, some of them are diploids. Some of them are triploids. It so two chromosome yeah. sets or three chromosome three. sets. It's they're another weird system, but generally they're thought of as hybridogenic. In these. The eggs will have two sets of chromosomes, so the incoming set doesn't mess things up. And then the offspring will be uh, have the three sets of chromosomes. In the salamander group I study, they can use both of these methods and a third one that is referred to as kleptogenesis. In this case, the egg is always genetically identical to the mother, but sometimes it does take in a new chromosome set and sometimes it doesn't. And other times, yeah, other times, the incoming set might replace one from the mother. It's a complete mess. 
Okay, wait. So I have I have a hypothesis here. So all the Pokemon fans have always like been like, how can Kangaskhan only be female? But like you just explained it. Like literally, <laughs> like literally, that's it though. Like it could just be that she needs the partner to stimulate it, and then the egg production happens. Same with like I, Chansey. Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> so there are, but there are biological basis for animals to have this happen, because like Chansey is almost kind of like a amphibian too. Like there's been relations of it to like salamanders or ox. Um, ac- how do you say it? Oxalotl. Oxalotl. Thank yeah. you. Yes. So okay, there, I, yeah. I guess I could see that for Chansey. She she's got like the the uh, hair doodads. I guess the I don't know what skin. they're. Yeah, I don't know what they're supposed yeah, to be. The, but the, maybe, yeah, the I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, okay. So then, are there other types of sexual reproduction, like in the animal kingdom, that we may not, that our listeners may not know about? Like, how does that work? There might be other, like, very niche reproductive uh, systems, but more generally, there are like different reproductive, uh, or there are different sex determining systems. Oh, so okay. in humans, you know, we're X Y. Everyone knows, like, you know, females are X X, males are X Y. Uh, yeah, there's and another then there's, system. There's like other variations within that too, even. Yeah. Like even in humans, there are like lots. There are dozens of variations within that. Yeah, like the the traditional is XXXY, but you can have XXY, XYY. Yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah. Um, there's another system, and shout that's out called... to all our fans out there who who are are big into that. Right. <laughs> who understand that. So just want to make sure we we clarify. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. There's another system that's called the ZW system in which okay. it's kind of the reverse. So in that case, females are ZW as opposed to males being XY. And then the males are ZZ as opposed to the XY system where the females are XX. Yeah. So it, it gets kind of flipped in that way. And okay. in this, yeah, in this case, sometimes the females can also be ZZ and that's a very rare instance as far as i'm aware yeah aside from that there are still other groups that decide they don't like this whole chromosome determinancy thing and they'll go more with this fish uh yeah fish are a good example um but like 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 nemo's dad should have actually become just like his mom protagonist hermaphrodite yeah exactly yeah yes in in those systems the the, when the female dies, the dominant male becomes a female, and <laughs> yeah. so then fish do this all the time. By the and way, and triggerfish like, do the opposite, and some races, other races do too. Right, and then oh, um, uh, groupers, I think, will also do that. Yes, uh, as, a, as a grouper enthusiast, they do. Okay, yeah. There's another like much less common. You can go like male, female, male. Like you can kind of go back and forth. Okay. Yeah, that's much less prevalent as far as I'm aware. But yeah, then I also look it up. I like I I'm I've like remember like learning about this while doing college stuff, but I don't remember the exact. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember like which species it is specifically that does it. I just know that it's out there. Others like they're true hermaphrodites. They are both male and female at the same time. This is where we get like those videos of the slug spearing uh on the like slime string right? yes i was talking about yeah um, I, th- I think it's certain races do it um the oh really male female to male thing oh okay R- races is a whole, i mean a lot of races go from female to male 
like uh, if you look at, like a lot any rastic it's like the the big like head nodule a lot of that's like all sequential hermaphrodite um hogfish do that which is like a really big ras in florida for like diving and stuff but i think there's a few from some very fast and inaccurate googling potentially that go male, <laughs> female male female back and forth yeah i i think wikipedia might also help yeah but yeah, aside from that, there's also like temperature dependency. And so turtles and crocodilians are really well known for that. Oh, with the um, like certain temperatures, more males or females will hatch. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that ties into that also ties into like epigenetics, too, which we've talked about a couple episodes ago, where there are outcomes that get determined by extra extraneous uh, factors too in development. Yeah, so you know the the systems that we typically think about in biology uh turns out no there's always all of these different caveats cool okay so real quick then what makes just tell us your reason what makes amphibians so special so personally i like amphibians kind of because they do have you know the aquatic and terrestrial life stage uh there's a lot of interesting research going into them discussing how they're basically like transferring energy from the aquatic system and moving that into the terrestrial system. And because there are so many salamanders, uh, specifically in this case, it's just a transfer of a huge amount of energy from one system to another, which isn't usually like the aquatic system is more confined in itself. Fair enough. So without that, let's move on and talk about some Pokemon. All right, so the first Pokemon we're going to talk about is the like rising star of VGC this generation, Dragapult. Yeah, Don? Yeah, yeah, Dragapult? Yeah, yeah, you mean the annoying thing that whatever move you don't want it to have, it has? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it does everything. So they've been compared to Ulm, which I did look up what those were. Is it Ulm for... or Ulm? Ulm. Ulm. Probably Ulm. I probably say it wrong. Ulm. That makes sense. I pronounce every word wrong, so that's probably it. <laughs> as as Don so clearly pointed out on our trivia stream this weekend. What did I? Which I? Which which thing did I? I don't out? remember, but I I pronounced something wrong. And you, uh, Zigo, uh, Zygarde. Zygarde. Yeah, you said Zygarde. Zygarde. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's. I don't know. Right, that sounds wrong, right, Evan? Back me up here. <laughs> yeah. No, that that definitely sounds wrong. <laughs> I see two consonants and an e, and I just instantly go French. <laughs> yeah. It's a, oh, 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 Zygarde. Oh. Yeah, no, it's... I don't... Yeah, all right, fair enough. Anyways, <laughs> so Ohms, uh, they actually have tied to... They're, they're tied to dragon folklore, for those who don't know, in Europe. What are Ohms? <laughs> yeah, so uh, an Ohm is a exclusively cave-dwelling salamander, uh, and they're okay. found in, like, the mountainous regions of Europe. So these things, like, you know, they've evolved in cave systems. They've lost all their pigmentation making them appear kind of ghost-like, just all white. And then along with pigment loss, they've also uh, developed like very spindly, thin legs and almost completely lost eye function. Uh, This, yeah, these sorts of uh, adaptations are very common in cave-dwelling animals like fish uh, do this all the time. I have cave tetras, yes. They have no eyes and giant mouths and they're kind of creepy. Right, yeah. (laughs) No, like they they definitely fit the ghost theme. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, with the Ulm, you may have heard like a few headlines or some headlines a few years back 
we got video evidence of like Olms laying eggs. And this was huge because like these things are estimated to live between like 50 and a hundred years. And it might take, <laughs> yeah, it might take them a decade between egg laying events. So it was like huge. If you want to actually see things like that, you can actually see them in the States, specifically in Texas. They've got a huge number of cave dwelling salamanders, and certain zoos are actually trying to help raise them because they are endangered. Huh. Okay. Well, and I know, like in European folklore, uh, they're like described as descendant of dragons, which this now makes sense because they've hidden underground. And yeah. Okay. This all like it all's coming together. Okay. So dragapult though is also compared to amphibians for this like parental care it gives its children. Like what? Are, what, what does that I mean, mean? by like, eating them at its opponents? <laughs> <laughs> but like what is special about amphibians the way they take care of their young uh yeah so uh frogs and toads are especially well known for actually the parental strategies most listeners are probably familiar with the Suriname toad in this species the female actually like lays her eggs in on her back and this specialized layer of skin sort of grows over them and so instead of hatching out into tadpoles they just go through their complete development and then pop out of her skin as little toadlets because oh. yeah, the peepa peepa. Right. Yeah. The whole point being like the, when they're tadpoles and, or very small fry, they're very easy to, uh, <laughs> there's another species called the gastric brooding frog. Unfortunately, Ooh, yes. it's not, those are neat, yeah. but they're like, aren't right? they like extinct now or super rare or something? Yeah, they're extinct. They are trying to bring them back. Like, you know, sci-fi, sort of thing like, like the mammoth <laughs> we've talked about it before yeah, yeah okay. it's kind of crazy they're pretty interesting because their whole method was that they would basically consume the eggs and have the eggs develop in their stomach and then out pop you know little froglets uh, at the end of it so it's okay. it's yeah it's pretty crazy there are a bunch of other species that do a lot of parental care poison dart frogs are well known for it uh some bullfrog species like the african bullfrog is really well known for it salamanders much less so there are some that will guard their nest but for the most part they drop eggs and then head out um sicilians do some parental care right yeah yeah so uh sicilians are like the third much less understood amphibian branch. yeah that no one talks about and we don't have a sicilian pokemon either now that i think yeah about it. actually yeah that would be a pretty cool one because like some of their parental care is like the mother will slough off her skin and that will be food for the young um and she i think she, i think the sicilians also can like produce kind of like a milky substance for them it's it's been a while since i've actually looked into sicilians but uh yeah they're They've got some pretty neat parental care, even with the little information we know about them. All right, so let's talk about Salandant. So, like, Salandant is supposed to be tied to a firebelly newt, like, specifically the Japanese firebelly newt. Neat. What are these, and what's special about them that gives Salandant the poison type? Yeah, so uh, newts are a subfamily of salamanders. So didn't know that. Now I do. <laughs> yeah, so all newts are salamanders, but not all salamanders are newts. <laughs> if a equals b and b equals c does not mean that a equals c got it yeah th it's it like happens a water a phase of a salamander right or something like that um no so so newts are just a different like species or like they're a different like, like, sub it's, it's like, like, it's like all frogs. retrievers yeah well, no, exactly like, 
Okay, I was gonna yeah. say, like, like yeah. all retrievers are dogs, but not all dogs are retrievers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so most newts and a lot of salamanders in general have some toxicity to them. Uh, the okay. Japanese, yeah, the Japanese firebelly newt is one of the more extreme cases. Uh, it's got. But if you these... like eat it, you you can like die, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> its skin glands excrete a neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin. Oh yay! Uh, Pufferfish yeah. have that too, right? Exactly. That's <laughs> that's the stuff that kills uh, sushi goers. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. Well, so... that's why salamander is dangerous. Then got it. Yeah, uh, some of the newts in North America are also pretty potent. Um, there are like stories of hikers accidentally collecting them in water cans that they then boil for like coffee. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, and then they die. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I mean, both the hiker and the newt dies, but right. Terrible. Yeah. So oh. it's it's generally suggested to like not lick newts. Um, okay. <laughs> don't, don't lick newts. Got this it. This is the official pokey science PSA. Uh, listeners, please do not lick the newts. <laughs> I, I know, I know they look delicious, but like, please, please train yourself. They're so cute and slow and they just got like little noses that you want to boop. Um, With don't. your tongue. <laughs> yeah. All right, speaking of cute and noses you want to boop, let's, um, so, like, Charmander is something we've talked about previously because it has ties to, like, mythological ties to, like, fire. So we've talked about, like, salamanders, especially in Europe. They're believed to be born of fire. So we've even seen this in movies like Frozen 2. Like, there's that whole fire salamander thing. There's I just saw it the other week. Yeah. Um, anyways, so ohms, which relate to Dragon Paul, were believed to relate to dragons. Salandon is a fire belly newt. So, like, why do salamanders, why do people, like, associate salamanders with fire? Yeah, like, so where does uh, this come from? right. This is this is some pretty ancient mythology, as far as I'm aware. Like the earliest story I'm aware of was uh, Pliny the Younger and Aristotle basically debating if salamanders could put out fires. Uh, yeah, they, they also thought remoras mean... could hold ships still. Yes, yes, right. <laughs> you know the the idea had to come from somewhere, so it must be older than that. Um, the the origins I've heard, or at least the suggestion, is that. A lot of salamanders, they'll hide out in decaying logs. Okay, uh, yeah, I've heard this theory too. Yeah, yeah, and so by hiding in the logs, it protects them from uh, desiccation. So they they retain moisture. There's a lot of insects, so a lot of food, and it's also because it's decaying, it's still kind of warm, which is really useful for you know surviving winters. But when humans come along and we want to build a fire. All of a sudden, we're going to be using salamander homes. So all of a sudden, their log is on fire. The salamander ducks out. Uh, so that's probably where the mythos came from. Well, that makes sense. And that makes sense why we why we tie them in there and connect it to dragons then, because dragons, we imagine, have fire. All right, so we'll talk about another one that I love talking about, and that is whooper. And it's related to, Don, how do I say it? Axolotl? Axolotl, thank you. It's a species of salamander that has like gills and it remains, you know, uh, it has like the remains in the water for all its life because it never developed lungs. It's like in the immature stage, right, Evan? Is that what they yeah. have heard? Yes, okay. Yeah. So, like, we were taught in school, though, amphibians go through, like, through these like life cycles, though. But, like, why do some of them just keep their gills and not, like, develop lungs? 
Right. Yeah. So, um, as uh, Don was mentioning, you know, they they keep their juvenile characteristics, and this is called neoteny or pedomorphy. Um, but basically, this just yeah, uh, just means that they're keeping these juvenile characteristics while also maturing. Uh, the reason they do this is primarily driven by the quality of the aquatic habitat. So the process of metamorphosis is very taxing. You know, it's basically their version of puberty. You can think of it like, would you really want to go through all of that in like the span of two weeks? Furthermore, like, you know, if the food is plentiful in the water, why risk going on land? It, the terrestrial life sucks. It's you're much I heard slower this in a song from the little mermaid. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, you're slower. Down where it's, it's wetter, we got it better. <laughs> up on the shore, they work all day. So you, you desiccate if you're... <laughs> yeah, you can dry out. They've, there's large predators. The food moves faster. Like, you know, you got it well in the water so long as that water sticks around. You know, yeah. leaf litter, easy to hide in. Uh, the In the water, the... Insects are just like swimming around and sometimes they'll swim right in front of your face and it's easy as that. So really nice to stay in the water if you can hack it. Well, this kind of reminds me of, we talked about um, a few episodes ago when we were talking about uh, neurobiology. We're talking about like if Pokemon, you know, what would be the limitation on learning multiple moves? And we talked about like the energy required to do all these things. And that kind of makes me think of this too. Like it's, it's a, it's an energy conservation thing like not going through metamorphosis saves you a lot of energy yeah it makes me kind of think of um like it's almost like an opportunity cost like it almost like ties into economic theory oh wait 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 i just thought something so a lot of um it's like how a lot of um pokemon if you they don't evolve they get their level up moves at a faster rate so it gives you the benefit of not like evolving because you're not wasting energy to evolve so therefore you can get your, your stuff faster that's it. There you that, go. Yeah, that's, that's how we tie it into real world, Don. Yeah, By like, real world, you mean a video game, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like that's how we tie it in because you're right. Like When they level up, you've already used so much energy to like turn into Volcarona that you know you, now you're going to have to wait longer. Yep. Yeah. It also takes more energy to like live in that larger form. Yes. Yeah. Kind of going back, the Ulm is also really remarkable for this like you know, they recorded one Ulm basically not moving for 10 years. It so just, sweet. yeah, it just stood there. Every cash potatoes dream. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then alternatively to our question, just a second ago, why do some salamanders have legs and some do not? Yeah. So there are a few groups of salamanders without legs, uh, uh particularly of note are the sirens. Um, okay. the, yeah, these salamanders are entirely aquatic they look like slimy boas almost like they're just mm. really long some of them have like little nubbin legs right yeah they do they've got little tiny nub toes that they like... i used to have a um i used to have a, a two-toed amphuma for a couple of years that i caught at a boat ramp and oh he nice. was like three feet long but he had like maybe half inch little nub legs that like he'd <laughs> swim around and you could see them like flailing like he was doing <laughs> something with them oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, amphumas and uh, sirens have kind of di- have both kind of evolved to have that very similar shape and lifestyle. 
you know, the, the little hands help to rummage around in the mud, find and uh, dig up the leaves, find anything that's in there. The, we mentioned Cecilians before as well, and Cecilians also don't really have legs. Um, huh. Yeah, they, so for them, it's like they're just this long earthworm looking thing. Uh, very poorly understood. Primarily, they live in they live in like the leaf litter at the bottom of tropical forests. Uh, but you know, there's there's a lot of confusion as to like what their lifestyle even is for the most part. It's like they live here, but we don't really know what they do. <laughs> so that's like how every parent feels about their fifteen year old. Got it? Yeah. Okay. You're here, you live here, you eat. But like, what are you doing again? Yeah, all of a sudden, sometimes it's like, oh, hey, you've got babies, and they're eating your skin. What is Ew. going on? Ew, I'm out. I am out. Okay, so our guest question. So what is one animal you'd like to see in the Pokemon world that isn't? Yeah, so uh, personally, I think that a Siren Pokemon would be a pretty fun addition. You know, Ooh, is yes. It, isn't yeah. Wooper, though, kind of like a siren, though? Hey, he's an axolotl. Uh, They're different Yeah, creatures. he's an axolotl. Siren, like... He's missing legs. He's got little feets. Yeah, and, you know, when he evolves, he's got uh, all the good stuff. Right? Yeah, Wooper evolves Quagsire, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Man, it's been a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, so sirens, like, water ground typing, easy. Um... But one of the things that makes them really interesting is like they're very persistent in drier climates. So like I would find them down in South Texas, not exactly a wet environment. Uh, no. For them, yeah. For them, when the water dries up, they burrow into the mud and they, uh, in what the pond is, or you know, the drying up, the pond that is drying up, and they create like this gelatinous cocoon that they then hide away in for years like the longest that is recorded is they can live in this stasis in this like cocoon of slime for about eight years but it could also be longer so like it would need like an ability where if it was raining they'd be slimy and so maybe they have like higher evasion and if it was yeah. like sunny they would have like higher defense because they are cocooning right or maybe like um you know, physical attacks would have a greater chance of um, uh, missing. Because, like, I've tried to handle them. They, you know, they can get three plus feet long, but they're constantly coated in this slime. And so you try and handle one, it's constantly just squirming out of your hands. We would, like, yeah, we would actually, like, get them in a bucket and then basically try to dump them into a sock in order to <laughs> hold on to them. Are they okay. as uh, are they as bitey as amphumas are? Uh, no. Um, so amphumas, I think, like they're highly pred like they're very big predators. Yeah, right? yeah, they're very yeah, yeah. I like know how, how siren stacked up in terms of it's like mine. When I when I picked him up, he chomped me, and then like, whenever I try to like clean his thing, he would get real real bitey. Yeah, but they they also have like teeth, right? Like they they, they have this weird like multi-row jaw ridge thing. Yeah, I, I am not sure if it counts officially as teeth or not, but it's okay. a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I remember like there's. I like teeth. I think it was I think it was amphiumas. One of their 
prey items are sirens where they basically like impale the brain of the siren to kill it and then eat it. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Ew. They're they're monsters. Yeah. Ew. Sirens don't do that. Uh, they've got like you can think of like siren mouths as more uh, tadpole like almost. Oh, that sounds adorable. Yeah, no, they absolutely are. They're just giants. Like they're the size of uh, your arm or like the arm of a 15 year old basically. Okay. It's, yeah, pretty crazy. All right. Well, I think with that, I only have one last question to ask, and that is if our listeners want to follow you or your work, where could they go to do so? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Hoxacrine, so H-O-X-A-C-R-I-N-E. Um, I, a few years back, I made a Facebook page for my previous work when I was down in Texas called Newt Tales. And then some friends and I have also recently started a podcast called the Graduates Psychom Podcast. And okay. there's an associated, yeah, there's an associated Twitter account. There was um, some group had already made the Graduates. So we had to be specific, like ours is Psychom. Um, but, you know, we're new to this whole process. And so we're, we're hoping to talk more about like the life of graduate students and maybe do, you know, interviews with current graduate students, talk about their life, what troubles they're going through or uh what their research is like pretty broad in that sense okay well thank you so very much for joining us today evan it was great thanks for coming out absolutely i will talk to you again another time buddy thanks all right have a good one thanks you too Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. It's probably going to sound a little weird here. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties while recording this episode, especially with Don's uh, mic. And on his end, we actually had to pause it at several points and try to troubleshoot. And so I went to mix it here, and it turns out that all of the closing track on Don's end did not save. So I don't think it recorded properly, it looks like. So I'm just going to go through and wrap up here on my own. But thank you, everyone, for coming out. Uh, thank you again so much, Evan, for joining us today. For those of you who aren't sure or on the fence, please come join us on June 13th. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited to have Lucas hosting around the trivia. Uh, there's going to be a lot of amazing guest hosts. And, I mean, it's for charity, and we got prizes. Seriously, you get to come pay $5 to come play trivia with you and your friends. And if you guys do well, you win prizes throughout the night. So, you know, good time, free prizes, and you're helping out a good cause. Uh, that said, I just want to thank everyone for the uh, support so far. Please remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. If you tell one friend about us, our viewership doubles, which would be helpful. So please spread the word, tell your friends. We appreciate that. Finally, for our Patreon supporters, there is a Mel Metal. Uh, distribution going on. I'm going to be around this Friday, the what's that, the 12th, and Saturday the 13th. You can catch me in Discord or shoot me up at Discord. Uh, it does go on my phone too. So, I mean, I'm around, you know, just kind of working from home anyways. So let me know and I'll get it to you. I appreciate those who are supporting the $5 and $8 tiers. And I guess thank you everyone so much again. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.